I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I am your other host, Margot Poupard. Well, Margot, I don't know about you, but in life, there are a few things I want out of a partner. I want you to show up when I need it, make me laugh, and above all else, say my name, say my name. When no one is around you, say, baby, I love you. Today on the pod, we're talking about the one, the only, Destiny's Child. <laughs> this episode has been a long time coming. I, in one of my little top, you know, notes that I wrote down while revisiting their, uh, the Destiny's Child oeuvre, um, I wrote down, we really have to take time to thank TLC and Destiny's Child for teaching the children to never not accept a trifling man. No scrubs, bugaboo, bills, bills, bills should be put in the history books. <laughs> That's true. Trifling, good for nothing type of brother. I mean, have, me. have truer words, yeah, ever been spoken. That- I, I don't think so. And also, I mean, my favorite discovery of revisiting Destiny's Child this week has uh, when I unearthed a single um, of uh, bugaboo where kobe bryant raps in in a remix of the song i was shaken to my core i was like who is this bow wow and i was like oh it's kobe (laughs) you know it's something that one day maybe we'll revisit this in a mini episode but nba players at one point or another were given a lot of free reign to uh do a rap or two on tracks Shaq had a rap career at one point oh yeah got to do a guest rhyme on a destiny's child remix it was it was a wild, wild west of of hip hop culture. Wasn't he also at that on point. like a Tyra song too? I could have yes. sworn Kobe was on. Yes, or I, she had I a believe... song named Kobe. We yes. covered this on a mini episode. <laughs> well, and you remember in Hip Hopera to bring it back to Destiny's Child and Beyonce, mm-hmm. there is a moment mm-hmm. in which she references Kobe Bryant in one of the songs. Carmen, a hip hopper, excuse me. <laughs> hashtag his impact. Uh, okay. Hashtag his impact. 
We are very excited to talk to you about this group that not only delivered us pre-teen slash teenage soundtracks of bops, empowering anthems, and lyrics featuring now obsolete technology, but a group that's gone on to influence so many other groups that we listen to today. You cannot show me a photo of Haim wearing coordinating outfits without me whispering Tina Knowles' name. Margot, before we get started. <laughs> you mean House of Dayron, which I looked up and House I was like, Dayron. <laughs> for like totally ready to go in on it. <laughs> but I didn't realize how late it started in the game. I it's thought she was there. Late. I thought it was from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, and she was iconically, of course, the 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 stylist and designer of all their outfits. But yeah, House of Darion was very late in the game in terms of Destiny's Child's career. Um, but we will definitely get into some of these more iconic outfits later. Before we get into things, Margot, what is your favorite Destiny's Child song? Ooh, I think, oh, I, I, I think it might be Survivor. I really do enjoy that song. And then especially after revisiting the music video, I was like, yes, even this fucking music video slaps, even though it's like completely not realistic. And it's very um, influenced by Honey to me in some ways, Mariah Carey's music video. Especially Mm -hmm. with like the beach to Amazon kind of trajectory. Like that doesn't all occur naturally in Malibu, which is where they shot part of it. No, (laughs) ma'am. But... I would say anything off of like the independent women album still really holds up for me, but I'll just go with survivor for now. My, you know, it's funny you picked stuff from the survivor album because I picked bootylicious because, you know, give me, give me a roll call and a Stevie Nicks sample any day of the week. And I will be very happy with the results. I I think that song is fantastic. I did borrow elements of your old Stevie Nicks costume from my Stevie Nicks costume. So, yes. The sisterhood. We, I should have seen that coming. Stevie Nicks costume. Uh, that tambourine. Uh, so before we kind of dive into the history, it's very, I mean, we do have to talk about what's the most interesting thing about this group amongst its, you know, amazing lyrics, amazing songs, iconic outfits, very much, you you know, we can't talk about this group without talking about the lineup changes, which we'll get into, um, throughout this episode, but really the, you know, before we dive into it, the final group, and really kind of the group that lasted up until the breakup and has shown up in subsequent reunions and appearances is, of course, Beyonce Knowles, who almost always sang lead on the tracks. Kelly Rowland, Beyonce's childhood friend, who's basically like an adopted sister to her. And Michelle Williams, not the actress Michelle Williams, but the singer, who joined the group in 2000. Previous members of the group included the two original members, Latavia Robertson and Latoya Luckett. And eventually, when these two members are replaced, they are replaced by Michelle Williams and Farrah Franklin, who subsequently left the group less than six months after joining. We will get into that more later, but wanted to lay down the groundwork of the group members before we're going into the history. And the history of this group really traces back to Beyonce Knowles and her father, Matthew Knowles, who remained their manager through an entire run of the group pretty much. Beyonce was born September 4th, 1981 to Matthew Knowles, a sales exec for Xerox, and Celestine, a.k.a. Tina Knowles, nay Beyonce, in fact, Beyonce is her maiden name, who was a hair salon owner and hairdresser. Beyonce very famously also has a little sister named Solange, who got her start in the industry as a backup dancer and singer for Destiny's Child. 
Beyonce grew up in Houston and was discovered by her dance instructor when her instructor heard her singing a bunch of high notes. And eventually, Beyonce won a school talent show at seven when she had to beat out a bunch of teenagers. Meanwhile, Kelly Rowland was born February 11th, 1981 in Atlanta, Georgia. She and her mother left her dad, who was abusive and like had been dealing with PTSD issues um, that were still apparent from his time serving in Vietnam. Eventually, she relocated to Houston when she was around seven or eight and later began living with the Knowles family. Her relationship with her mother was very tumultuous over the years leading up to her mother's passing, and she hasn't discussed too many details in interviews, but she very much considers the Knowles family her second family, down to calling Tina Knowles Mama T. Later, Beyonce and Kelly would meet Latavia Robertson when they auditioned for a group that would later be known as Girls' Time. The group was made up of Knowles, Roland, and Robertson, along with three other members, Tamar Davis and sisters Nikki and Nina Taylor. Girls' Time's main focus was really around rapping and dancing. They were kind of a hybrid hip-hop group, and there was a bit of singing, but definitely more hip-hop forward. Eventually, the group will catch the attention of producer Arne Frager, who would fly them out to California to record at the Plant Recording Studio in Sausalito, which was previously known as the Record Plant. This studio closed in 2008, but was legendary because tracks from several iconic albums were recorded there, including Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, Winnie Houston's Self-Titled, and several of Rick James's albums. Frager was able to get the group on Star Search in the early 90s, and while they would end up losing, they realized some changes needed to be made to the group. Matthew Knowles thought it was because they had focused on the rapping and less on the singing, and that the group being at six members had rappers, dancers, hype girls, singers. It was a lot going on on stage. So Matthew Knowles was actually no stranger to girl groups. In an interview I read kind of on the oral history of Destiny's Child, it turns out his friend and fellow fraternity brother, David Lombard, put together and managed in vogue in the beginning of their heyday. Matthew Knowles decided, yeah, I know. I was shocked too. I couldn't find a lot of confirmations on this, but I did read this. And then later it checked out that Lombard was the manager of En Vogue, but I was shocked. (laughs) This is the second musical shock I've had this week. (laughs) The first being discovering that the Bee Gees wrote Islands in the Stream. I will not let this go. I am still trying to process it. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. But can you imagine the Bee Gees getting royalties on both Islands and the Stream and Ghetto Superstar? I mean, that's pretty fan fucking tastic. I, I it's just like every time I see Ed Sheeran and I yell, "Don't you owe Candy Burris some money?" You know, it's one of those things where like it never stops being satisfying to hear, to think about. And speaking of Candy Burris, she is going to come up a lot throughout this episode. Um, right, because so- she worked a lot on writings on the wall. She did with her then boyfriend, Kevin Shakespeare Briggs. So Matthew Knowles decides to leave his job at Xerox and become the full-time manager of Destiny's Child. And the first line of business is cutting the group down. He removed Tamar Davis and the Taylor sisters and then brought in Lotoya Luckett, who the girls had heard perform at a school play. Tina Knowles was the group's stylist, which obviously continues throughout the group's career. And she also offered her salon as a rehearsal space where the girls could practice their routines for her customers. She also actually helped come up with the final group name, Destiny's Child, after having gone by Girls' Time, Something Fresh, Cliche, The Dolls, and later just Destiny. 
According to Latavia, quote, one day she was looking through the Bible and she just opened it up and our picture fell out and she saw the word destiny and it just spoke to her. So we were called destiny for a while. And once we got signed with Sony Music, they added the child because it was like the rebirth of destiny. Very interesting. Um, Matthew Knowles would later set up some sort of boot camp for dancing and singing during the summer, a la Lou Pearlman. There are some shades of Lou Pearlman that come up throughout this whole like career of Destiny's Child, like not quite similar because there's family involved versus like a separate entity, but still very similar. They, as a group, will go on to open for SWV, Drew Hill, and Immature, and were eventually signed to Electra Records only to be dropped before releasing an album. As mentioned earlier, this group would later sign with Sony, specifically Columbia Records. Their track, Killing Time, would be featured on the Men in Black soundtrack in 1997. Later that year, in November, they made their chart debut with the hit single, No, 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 specifically the part two version of that song that featured Wyclef Jean and was co-produced by him. There is, in fact, a part one of the song, which had a music video, but definitely didn't chart as high as the remix and was very less upbeat. That single would peak at number three on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the R&B Hip Hop Song Chart. The self-titled debut album was released on February 17, 1998 and sold over a million copies in the U.S. Ultimately, none of the follow-up singles on that album were able to repeat the success of No, 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 although some of those had a bigger success outside of the U.S. The group went back to the studio very quickly afterwards to work on what would be their breakthrough album, The Writings on the Wall. Producers would include Kevin Shakespeare Briggs and Rodney Jerkins, a.k.a. Dark Child, along with Missy Elliott, Candy Burris, and Beyonce. She is, by the way, the only member in the group with a producer credit. Dark Child was probably best known at the time for having produced several of Mary J. Blige's singles and had a banner year in 1998 after co-producing Brandy's Never Say Never album and Monica's The Boy Is Mine album, which featured, of course, that iconic duet, The Boy Is Mine. He's also produced Whitney Houston's It's Not Right, But It's Okay, which is one of my top three Whitney songs. And Kevin Shakespeare Briggs produced, of course, TLC's No Scrubs, along with Pink's debut single, There You Go, which both of those he co-wrote with Candy Burris, who was his girlfriend at the time. I didn't realize that she had written that song for Pink, too. And that's all happening at the same time, essentially. Well, not the same time, but, you know, like in rapid succession. Well, I, what we forget with Pink is actually she, she was signed to LaFace Records. So right, her, yeah. She was supposed she, to be an R&B artist. Like that was initially so. the angle. And very much so. And so she was very much tied to that, you know, the same songwriters, same producers. Um, mm-hmm. It's very interesting how her trajectory has changed. But yeah, she was very R&B focused at the beginning, working with a lot of that same team that worked with Destiny's Child. I mean, that well, team just had like a crazy run of singles yes. at that time. That 1997 to 2001 period was just hit after hit, specifically for mm-hmm. female R&B groups. And what's funny, of course, is, you know, Candy Burris had been in Escape. So, of mm-hmm. course, she also just being an iconic songwriter, just knew how to write a good song for a girl group. And it really shows. The Writings on the Wall was released on July 27, 1999 and peaked at number five on the Billboard 200 and number two on the R&B chart in early 2000. It would stay on the Billboard 200 chart for 99 weeks, going on to sell 6.3 million copies in the U.S. alone, and was later certified eight times platinum globally by the RIAA by the end of 2001. Bills, Bills, Bills was the lead single released in 1999 and hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, becoming their first U.S. number one single. The second single, Bugaboo, was written by the group along with Kevin Shakespeare Briggs and again, the iconic Andy Burris. 
Released August 23rd, 1999, made it to number 33 on the Hot 100 and 15 on R&B Hip Hop Chart. I'd like to take a moment, by the way, to remind you of the outdated technology references in this song. (laughs) Kadeem Griffiths over at Bustle did the Lord's work in 2014 and put together a list of these main references. And these include pagers and beepers, MCI, which is now Verizon, and AOL. I feel like that, between that and then Britney Spears' song, Email My Heart, uh, it was an interesting time where we're just trying to incorporate technology into these songs without ever thinking of what it would sound like, you know, maybe even just five years later. <laughs> right. But at least we still use email. That's you true. Know? That's true. Uh, but I, we, would- I, I, we can't say the same thing about MCI. I mean, I guess technically people use Verizon, but they are no longer a thing. And beepers are like what doctors have. So they could be talking about doctors, really. The song could be about ER yeah. doctors. Maybe it's about dating a hot ER doc who's also very annoying. I feel like doctors don't actually have a ton of spare time, but let's still go with this narrative to justify it in 2021. I like it. I really like this Great. story. I No <laughs> notes. A, carry on. <laughs> carry on. As the century comes to a close, tensions in the group begin to arise. Latavia and Latoya begin to express frustration to management, a.k.a. Beyonce's dad, Matthew Knowles, that he favored Beyonce and Kelly over them and felt like Beyonce and Kelly earned more. They expressed wanting to find outside management that would ultimately be less biased. This did not sit well with Matthew Knowles, and basically Robertson and Luckett were fired and replaced with Michelle Williams and Farrah Franklin right before filming the Say My Name music video, which noticeably was a track performed with the two original members on the album, but the video uh, featured yeah. <laughs> Williams and Franklin instead. <laughs> it was it was honestly as confusing as when they switched Becky's and Roseanne. We were like, wait, what's wait, happening? What? <laughs> I could have sworn there were different people here. <laughs> really the R&B Becky of our times. <laughs> but also like... Uh, Boy bands and girl groups were kind of infamous for like randomly swapping people out and hoping for the best, you know, that you don't notice without addressing sure. it unless they're unless they've already risen to prominence. Right. And then you have to actually address it. But I think maybe they thought at this point, maybe they'd be able to swap it around. But I mean, if your so album it. stays on the charts yeah. for 99 weeks, you have to assume that you can't just put two randoms in this video. And be like, yeah, they've been there the whole time. And that's where it gets messy is that, you know, in sync, oh as we've talked about in our boy bands episode, they did a switcheroo way before they got famous. So, you know, no one really cared except for the guy who got cut um, and replaced mm-hmm. with Lance, if I recall correctly. But uh, yes. the video for Say My Name, they will announce these uh, lineup changes, if, if that's what you want to call them, um, which uh, they announced during their premiere for the video for Say My Name. Uh, They filmed this music video with like almost no time for the new members to learn the choreo. Um, And the video premiered on February 15th, 2000 with Farrah Franklin and Michelle Williams alongside Beyonce and Kelly on MTV and BET simultaneously while also publishing a press release announcing the lineup changes. (laughs) This would result in a string of back and forth lawsuits beginning in March of 2000 when Latavia and Latoya sued Matthew Knowles, Beyonce, and Kelly. Eventually, at the end, by the end of the year, the two former members would drop their lawsuits in exchange for undisclosed settlements and agreements around stating disparaging remarks in the media. 
The new foursome with Williams and Franklin would appear in the same I name music video as well as the jump in jump in music video before Farah would actually leave the group less than six months later. The group's statement around her departure was that it was due to missing several appearances and performances, but Franklin would later express that it was due to her expressing the desire for more creative control in the group, similar to Luckett and Robertson's reasons. Say My Name, which I have to just give it its own little paragraph, because it is probably Destiny's Child, maybe not their most iconic song, but one of their most iconic songs. Uh, along with music video, uh, was directed by Joseph Kahn, best known for directing so many other music videos, such as Everybody, Backstreet's Back, and Incomplete by the Backstreet Boys, Eminem's Without Me, Britney Spears' Stronger, Toxic, and Womanizer, Brandy and Monica's Boy Is Mine, Moby and Gwen Stefani's Southside, Sugar Ray Someday, like 10 of Taylor Swift's music videos. I was going to say, like most most recently, he's like directed almost all of Taylor Swift's music videos. Basically every video since 1989 um, album, he's uh, filmed. It was incredible. Like I couldn't believe it. I knew he had done a lot. I didn't realize it was pretty much every one of them. Um, And finally, Aaliyah's If Your Girl Only Knew. And I had to really like cut this down because I could just like list you video after video that this guy has directed. Well, when so you started don't... to say 1989, I thought you were going to say he started working in 1989. And I was like, yeah, that tracks for me. Like in terms of the um, the volume of videos off the top of my head that I can name from him, he must yes. have started working like uh, he just has an insane IMDb. You know, it, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually was the the actual date that he was working started working because he directed among these videos was a Faith No More video. So that tracks around like Whoa, 89, no. 90. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Early, yeah, early 90s. Wow. So, That's an interesting uh place very, to start. Yes, indeed. Um, so we open on the video cutting to different members every few seconds, each of which is featured in a different room that's a different color. Beyonce's in the orange room, Kelly's in the blue room, Michelle's in the white room, Farrah's in the red room. Each room features that member along with a guy who's supposed to be the cheating boyfriend subject of Say My Name, along with two other women. Um, There's a lot of freeze frame dancing. That's really important. And then when you get to that first chorus after the first verse, the furniture begins to move a la Jamiroquai's virtual insanity music video. And I was surprised that Khan did not direct uh, virtual insanity. So, but very much, you know, that signature staple of like late 90s, early 2000s having moving furniture. The single was released on November 7th, 1999, and would eventually reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100, as well as the R&B Hip Hop Singles Chart and Dance Chart, stayed on that Hot 100 chart for 32 weeks. And the physical single CD, we're talking physical CDs just for a single, sold 134,000 copies. And that's not even the highest selling of their CD singles. I was shocked. Say My Name would go on to win two Grammy Awards in 2001 for Best R&B Performance by a duo group with vocals and Best R&B Song, while also being nominated for Record of the Year and Song of the Year. The single's music video won the 2000 MTV Video Music Award for Best R&B Video, and then it would win a Soul Train Lady of Soul Award for Best R&B Soul Single, um, as well as a BMI Pop Award for Most Played Song. Before we close in on the writings on the wall era, shout out to their last single, Jumpin' Jumpin', which was the only other music video to feature Farrah Franklin, where they drag race against a bunch of guys. 
And there were like five different remixes of this song. Um, I feel like Jermaine Dupree. Seriously. When you Jermaine put on Dupree. the Destiny's Child, when you when you just turn on Destiny's Child on Spotify, you will come across at minimum five remixes yes. of Jump In, Jump In. Yes. Yes. I mean, and I think there's like, like a club. Ones. Yes. There was like a club version that came on that I'm like, I, I can't. It's too early for me to be listening to club music. Too much. Too much. Between that and to be honest, just being at home a little too long at this point. Um, yeah. I'm going to yes. ease Good. myself. <laughs> ease I can't myself. listen. <laughs> <laughs> I just start sweating whenever I hear club remixes. Oh my God. Heart palpitations and all. <laughs> Suddenly it gets too dark and too bright in my living room. Like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in the club. Yep, yep. Um, That's really the end of that Writings on the Wall era. I mean, it's just, this is probably, you know, it's the breakthrough album. It's the album where all the lineup changes have happened, or most of them. And uh, it gets very confusing as you're watching music videos. You have to kind of take a look and be like, oh yes, okay, this is the era in between, you know, Latavia and Latoya leaving, but before Farah left, it's a little all over the place. It gets messy. I, uh, but really, ultimately, the writings on the wall is still a great album that slaps. I enjoyed re-listening to it, and that really it's leads tough us. to kind of. Oh, go ahead. It, it's tough to untangle like the end of the foursome of yes. them because because of the amount of lawsuits. So it can be yes. kind of difficult. I know that you and I had like overlap, so I had like a couple of notes about how Robertson and Luckett, which um, Latavia is still friends with Candy Burris because she's been on Atlanta a couple of times. Like, yeah. So I thought that was nice that they still stay in touch. But so there was a little bit of overlap in our research for this because it's really hard to tell where like Say My Name ends and then Independent Women starts. Mm -hmm. And so I read and I you and I both commiserated that it was kind of difficult to like corroborate some of these dates. Who is but writing I had, this Wikipedia page? <laughs> between the Wikipedia page, but also like like we were talking about, like you go to different articles mm-hmm. either from like the time of or like, you know, trying to do like a retrospective on the group as they were up until that point. And like some of the dates don't really match up. But in one of the articles I came across they said that Luckett and Robertson found out that they were being replaced by, and it should be um, also noted that Farrah Franklin was a former backup singer for Monica. So that's how she became a part of the group. But they found out when they watched the video, like everybody else, and then they released the statement. And the reason I left that out was there were conflicting articles about this. Like I thought that's what it was, but the way it was written in certain uh, think pieces versus the Wikipedia articles versus like, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but that, that checks out. I pasted it in there. Like it was fact because it seemed like some shady ass shit, because as we said, messy, messy, Matthew, like he just seemed mm-hmm. to, uh, to want to, I mean, after Farrah Franklin left it, her leaving kind of like made everybody feel like, Oh, well, it seems like he really is like he is being described. And also Farrah leaving. I think that this really kind of contributed to the run up of survivor, Mm -hmm. which is after she left, then all of the jokes about how, you know, Beyonce and Matthew Knowles are really running this thing and they're driving talent away kind of like really ramped up. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember the infamous Mad TV sketches where, uh, hi, I'm Destiny's Child. I mean, I'm Beyonce. And then they even do the Beyonce spoof of one of their songs that kind of happens later on. But it was, 
A radio DJ's throwaway joke that being a part of the group was like the reality show survivor that kind of started it off. So in this three-person iteration of Beyonce, Kelly, and Michelle, they released so this is they released a song as a threesome where Michelle actually sang. I felt like it was important to point that out because there's so much like Beyonce sings on everything. But Michelle sings on Independent Part One, Independent yes. Women Part One, which was released in the fall of 2000. And Independent appeared on the Charlie's Angels soundtrack and would later be on Survivor as well. So it seems like they were first approached to make this song or to significantly contribute to the Charlie's Angels soundtrack. And that was another piece of starting to put the second album together because I will get into it a little bit later. But this album sort of like starts and stops a little bit. But they released the single in October of 2000, and I highly recommend, uh, if you haven't revisited it in the in a long time, the Charlie's Angels soundtrack really still holds the fuck it's up, as does the first movie. Soundtrack. It's so, it's so good. I was inspired to revisit it when someone told me that they rewatched the first Charlie's Angels. Like, yeah, you remember how good that soundtrack was? So Independent Women Part 1 spent 11 consecutive weeks at the top of the Billboard 100, from November of 2000 to January of 2001, and it was the longest-running number one single of their career up until that point. The successful release of the single boosted the sales of the soundtrack overall, and Charlie's Angels' soundtrack went on to sell 1.5 million physical copies. And as someone who just watched the Bee Gees documentary, this sounds very Saturday Night Fever to me. Like, the impact, like the song influenced oh, the yeah. soundtrack in the movie kind of blowing oh, up. Yeah. In the, synergy, synergy, as I'm sure synergy. somebody yelled in a boardroom. There's, there's a lot of it. It's, it's disco. It's it's 70s Charlie's Angels. There's a bit of, like, the black exploitation feel with, like, the clothing looking a lot like of stuff of like what Pam Greer would wear like it's all of those things and that's why I think it might be my favorite of the Destiny's Child music videos Independent Women part one yes yeah I feel like that era outside of the Survivor music video all kind of had that very similar uh, aesthetic to all of it because even Bootylicious was very 70s tinged mm-hmm. I mean also because of the sample that it was taking from it was of that era but I feel like they also updated it in a fun way because they had a lot of great fringe and the bright bubblegum pink like so many people have gone on to copy that like Doja Cat's album covers like the first thing that comes to mind that reminded me of the Bootylicious music video totally Survivor went through 18 cuts and with Beyonce and Kelly being the only real constant until it was cemented that they were going to be a threesome with Michelle Beyonce took over more of the writing and producing of the material. A self-aware queen, Beyonce says, quote, I wanted to only do like three songs, but the label kept saying, do another song, do another song. It wasn't planned. It wasn't like I was like, okay, I'm going to take charge. It just happened. The album was originally titled Independent Women, but they changed it to Survivor due to all of the attention that their group received for their, let's say, high term. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
supernova rate. And then when the radio DJ made that joke, they were like, you know what? We're just going to take this and make fun of ourselves. And you guys can all stay mad because they are all doing fucking fine. If you watch the making of the video, you probably already know that Beyonce wrote Bootylicious on a flight to London after she listened to Edge of Seventeen. There was a claim made by some random New Jersey man about the guitar rip, but I'll give a shit about that. And men trying to baselessly discredit women like he can go fuck off. Survivor debuted at number one with the first week sales of 663,000 copies. It was the highest first week sales figure of any female group and the highest first week sales of any artist on Columbia Records. Independent Women and Survivors were back-to-back number one singles. Survivor, the album, was released May 1st, 2000, and sold a million copies in less than two weeks, and stayed in the top 10 for 13 weeks, and by the end of 2001, it sold nearly 4 million physical copies. It is certified four times platinum. Wow. Insane. These numbers are like bonkers numbers. But In a section I have labeled, oh, no, I have to talk about 9-11 briefly. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I do. 9-11's, (laughs) yeah, 9-11 claims another best laid plan in 2001. Destiny's Child was slated for a European tour, but they had to cancel in light of 9-11 and instead played a benefit concert for survivors. Other things that they did in 2001, they sang backup for Solange on the Proud Family theme song. They won two Grammys for Uh. Say My Name, which you had mentioned. And they ended 2001 by releasing a holiday album, Eight Days of Christmas. And I believe its highest peak was 34 on the charts. Those acapella versions of like Carol of the Bells are so extra with the riffs. I mean, it is just butter like butter when you listen to those riffs the runs are crazy and also the the um auto-tuned bells i guess for oh, lack of a better term yes. <laughs> yes. every time it comes on like a, a christmas holiday music shuffle i'm always jarred again it had that it has that club feel where you're like i do not want to be rolling on molly at the club listening to carol of the bells like please turn it off it's too intense Ah. <laughs> uh. So in 2002, we get a little bit into like a hiatus era. To buy time between album releases, they do what a lot of artists do, which is release an album of remixes. This is the remix was released on March 12, 2002, which, you know, happy anniversary to that album because we are recording on St. Patrick's Day. So March 12th wasn't that far behind us. Um, This is also probably where we get a lot of the um, multitude of Bugaboo remixes. This is the patient zero from which they spawn. Yes. Um, (laughs) I just can't um, from imagine the, at- the number of Jermaine Dupree remixes. I think every Destiny's Child song got a Jermaine Dupree remix. And Mariah, for that matter. During that four-year period, Mariah's songs all got Jermaine Dupree remixes. A lot of female artists could not uh, resist the Jermaine Dupree remix. I don't know. There's something about him where he was just like... This dude's gold. His remixes always slap. And I would say he's got a pretty good track record, but not everyone needs a remix is sort of what I'm trying to say. Yes. The cover of This Is The Remix, speaking of outdated technology, it looks like it was taken on a Nokia at the time through a filter from J-Lo's Love Don't Cost a Thing music video. It is a really funny cover. I encourage you to seek it out. It is not good. (laughs) I really could have made something better in 2002. (laughs) <laughs> Shortly after the re- the release of This Is The Remix, former members Luckett and Robertson filed a lawsuit for breach of agreement that barred them from public disparagement and had claimed that Survivor, the song, was directed at them. In June of 2002, the matter was settled out of court. During the Sesame's Child lull, the ladies focused on their solo careers. 
Michelle was the first to put out an album, Heart to Yours, a contemporary gospel album that hit number one on the gospel charts. April 1st, the group's official biography, Soul Survivors, was released. It was allegedly written by the girls. There's no ghostwriter cited, but you know that one is there. Um, I pulled part of the description from Amazon, and it reads as such. It must be part of human nature to love drama. We never would have sold as many records, and we never would have been this popular. If our members didn't, if our member change did not happen up until that point, we were squeaky clean, nice girls who couldn't get on the cover of any magazines. Beyonce Knowles. Now the description of the book itself, because it leads with a quote. They're beautiful. They're talented. They're bootylicious. Dot, dot, dot. Emphasis mine. From first kisses to broken hearts to pillow fights and legal battles, because pillow fights and legal battles (laughs) totally go together. I mean, and then you're going to love love the next one, Emily. From pillow fights to legal battles to losing friends. I'm sorry. That escalation is whiplash. I just see like a stream, like falling feathers from the <laughs> the pillows leading into a montage of arb- arbitration leading to a montage of all my friends are dead. Like it's wild. <laughs> but also after losing friends and finding strength in God. Beyonce Knowles, Kelly Rowland, and Michelle Williams share it all. Their example of survival has made Destiny's Child one of the most beloved, best-selling female groups ever. There was a lot more, but I didn't feel the need to go past what I just read. That was a good choice. In July, thank you. <laughs> In July, Kelly's collab with Nelly on the world's most upbeat bop about cheating, Dilemma, was released and made her the first out of the group to score number one outside of Destiny's Child. She even won a Grammy for it. Was it for her Excel sheet texting from the music video? Again, more outdated technology. <laughs> I mean, Bill Gates was just so proud to know that he could be referenced in hip hop indirectly. I mean, fantastic. Fantastic usage of Excel, albeit completely incorrectly used. Cue Bill Gates turning his baseball cap around and saying, how do you do, fellow kids? (laughs) You like rap music? (laughs) To capitalize on the success of Dilemma, Roland's solo debut, Simply Deep, was brought up from 2003 and released in September of 2002. Roland's career took off internationally when Simply Deep hit number one on the UK album chart. In the same year, she made her future film debut in the horror film, Freddy vs. Jason, an underrated classic, really. I would also recommend a revisit. It's very funny. Hmm. Beyonce went a different route. She turned to acting. The same summer that Kelly was having her debut come out, or she was gearing up for her debut to come out and riding high on the dilemma high, that I repeated myself, whatever. Um, Beyonce was in the third Austin Powers movie, Goldmember, and then followed that up with The Fighting Temptations. One of these movies is not like the other. <laughs> Beyonce also recorded a single uh, for Austin Powers, Goldmember, Work It Out, and was also uh, on one of the best rap love songs of all time, O3 Bonnie and Clyde. I remember shipping Beyonce and Jay-Z so, so hard and was shook by the song as they're like, oh, we're officially together. But the success of O3 Bonnie and Clyde, which was inescapable at the time, was ultimately what paved the way for Beyonce's Dangerously in Love. P.S. There is a Carrie fucking Bradshaw reference in O3 Bonnie and Clyde. I absolutely oh, yeah. screamed while writing these notes. She gets Carrie fever. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe Carrie will be the apparition that haunts us this season instead of 9-11. Wouldn't that be nice? I, I really hope because really, uh, in terms of things that have happened in New York, that would be a much a lighter hearted event to happen, uh, frequently appear on our show than talking about 
So 2003 was less about Destiny's Child and all about Dangerously in Love. I don't want to get into this record too much because we want to keep the focus on the group. So I'm just going to talk about this album in regards to how it impacted the group. So Dangerously in Love got pushed back several times because of Kelly's success with Dilemma and then her debut album. But until Dangerously in Love, Kelly was considered to be the most successful post-Destiny's Child member, which I I also still think that Kelly is the JC of Destiny's Child. She should have had a way bigger career. For sure. But all well that ends well because she seems totally fine with where she's at. But And she still is releasing releasing music. But again, she deserved a bigger career. Um, And I didn't realize how short her success was. But I guess beyond like Dangerously in Love completely eclipsed everything. Yeah. As I wrote my notes, then Beyonce came along and blew up her little spot. Do I think Kelly should have had a bigger career as Beyonce? Yes, but she seems fine, happy with how it all turned out. Dangerously in Love was number one in the U.S. It had two number one singles, Crazy in Love and Baby Boy, and two top five singles, Me, Myself, and I, where she has those iconic bangs that I that I also copied, and Naughty Girl. That's my Beyonce favorite. Wasn't- Me, Myself, and I is my favorite track on that album. It is just it so is beautiful. Best. It's, yes. It's such a good song. Highly agree. Um, Up until, I think Four is my favorite overall Beyonce album. Yeah. But Me, Myself, and I is like top five Beyonce song for me. Oh, my God. We are we are twins when it comes to our Beyonce uh, favorite songs and albums. Love it. To the surprise of no one. <laughs> That's why we do a we show. Are, we're aligned. Oh, yeah. You mean we have like a whole podcast together because we align so often? Weird. <laughs> But Beyonce wasn't the only person to release an album in 2003. Michelle released her follow-up gospel album called Do You Know? But Messy Matthew thought it was a brilliant idea that in June 2003 to announce that Destiny's Child would expand back to a quartet and add Beyonce's younger sister Solange as the latest addition. Destiny's Child had previously recorded songs with Solange and shared the stage with her temporarily when Kelly had broken a couple of toes while performing. But by August, Beyonce had to come out and say, no, her sister was in fact not joining the group because she was embarking on her own solo career. Solange had released her debut album, Solo Star. So when they get back from a three-year hiatus, they come back and record their fourth and final album, Destiny Fulfilled. Unlike their previous records, Destiny Fulfilled had each member equally contributing to the songwriting and the production, and they all were executive producers. Destiny's Child further worked with new and different collaborators like Rockweiler, Swizz Beats, and Rodney Jerkins. They released Destiny Fulfilled on November 16th, 2004. It didn't beat Survivor, but the album did reach number two in its second week, selling 497,000 copies compared. Well, we don't need to compare it to the previous album. That's how you get depressed. So Destiny Fulfilled was still a certified three-time platinum album in the U.S., and it's still one of the best-selling albums of 2005, selling over 8 million copies worldwide. And it pushed the group back into the position of best-selling female artist. The four singles that were released were the lead Lose My Breath, Soldier, Cater to You, and Girl. The first two reached number three. Soldier and Cater to You were certified platinum in 2006. I remember the video for Soldier very vividly because it was the first time that we saw that Solange was pregnant. And then also the first time I'd seen Little Wade presented to me as like a legit rapper and not just like the guy from Back That Ass Up. Yeah. Lose My Breath. Actually, I have to say, I know I picked Survivor earlier, but Lose My Breath is maybe the they're both my number one lose my breath is a really great song i can't believe i almost forgot i think because it's such a later entry that i i don't remember it as quickly as you know like say my name or something and i love the originality i mean this was like there were several songs that kind of did the drum line background at the time and Mm -hmm. i feel like but i think i appreciate theirs the most out of everyone who did that like sure there's hollow back girl and a couple of others but i would say yeah but i wouldn't favorite 
I wouldn't want to really talk about um, historically black college drum lines and then also be like, oh, Gwen Stefani. And it's a, but it's a theme that Beyonce has definitely carried yes. over into her current career as well. Yes. I will talk about Beachella later, but um, it has been a theme. So and it's I guess it started with this album and has carried on since then. But also being from Houston, I'm sure it's like a big part of culture there as well. 100% not to mention her she is her mother is from New Orleans and knowing oh, yeah. like Mardi, Mardi Gras parades like there is a parade for literally every everything in New Orleans and you are not there without drum lines you are not there without a second line like it is all of those things so the following summer after they released Destiny Fulfilled they embarked on a world tour Destiny Fulfilled dot 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 and I'm loving it um I want a word with whoever the fuck came up with that name <laughs> During their June 11th stop at the Palau Sant Jordi in Barcelona, Bar- excuse me, Barcelona, Kelly Rowland told a crowd, of, thank you, Kelly Rowland told a, cra- a crowd of 16,000 fans that at the end of the tour, they were officially breaking up after working hard to downplay them breaking up when Dangerously in Love was taking off. Beyonce went on to say that the album's title was not a coincidence that they had planned for this album to be their last. The group sent a letter to MTV about the decision saying, quote, we have been working together as Destiny's Child since we were nine and touring together since we were 14. After a lot of discussion and some deep soul searching, we realized that our current tour has given us the opportunity to leave Destiny's Child on a high note. United in, other, united in our friendship and filled with an overwhelming gratitude for our music, our fans, and each other. After all these wonderful years working together, we realize that now is the time to pursue our personal goals and solo efforts in earnest. No matter what happens, we will always love each other as friends and sisters, and we'll always support each other as artists. We want to thank all of our fans for their incredible love and support, and hope to see you all again as we continue fulfilling our destinies, Destiny's Child. So on September 10th, at the GM Palace in Vancouver, Destiny's Child performed for the last time. Their supporting acts were Amory, Mario, and Tyra. Wow! (laughs) I know! (laughs) But... Most likely due to a contractual obligation, they released a greatest hits in October of 2005 with two new songs, Stand Up For Love, which was the theme song for World Children's Day and Check On It, a song that Beyonce recorded for the Pink Panther soundtrack. A fun crossover because another apparition that haunts this podcast, David Foster and his daughter, Amy Foster Gillis and Beyonce all wrote Stand Up For Love as as the anthem for World Children's Day. They reunited for a couple, quote-unquote, farewell performances like the 2006 NBA All-Star Game and the Fashion Rocks Benefit in New York. They were inducted into the Hollywood Walk of Fame in March 2006 as well. And after their farewell tour, they resumed their solo careers. But as we've seen, they've appeared in each other's videos and have generally publicly supported each other after Destiny's Child disbanded. In 2013, on their fourth compilation album, Love Songs, new single Nuclear, produced by Neptunes and Pharrell, was released. A month later, they re- they reunited for Beyonce's Super Bowl show and performed Bootylicious, Independent Women, and Single Ladies, even though that's a Beyonce song. And then most famously, they reunited in 2018 for Beachella. And that's Destiny's Child. I, you know, it's funny, like, for, for a group that had so much, in terms of lineup changes, drama, turmoil, kind of peak career or right as they're becoming to be, you know, the most, one of the most famous groups in the world, they really end things on kind of on dramatic terms, really do love each other. Like I said earlier, Kelly very much considers the Knowles family, like her family and, and calls, you know, Tina, Mama T, Solange is a sister to her. Like 
it's all very much out of love. They still respect each other a ton. And I really think ultimately, as you know, you probably agree with me, a lot of that drama can be attributed to Matthew Knowles. And unfortunately, Beyonce and Kelly, you know, got caught in the wayside of it. Totally agree, especially because they were kids. What kind of yeah. control would they have over None. that sort of situation? And None. also a father, I mean, let's just essentially say a father to Kelly and Beyonce, like, especially at 16, 18, you're going to talk back? Like, that's not really going to happen. So I, I would totally agree that once, I think as the threesome, we've obviously witnessed that they are still very, very much a part of each other's lives and that they are still friends. And I really enjoy that. I'm glad that they are. It doesn't really even seem like the former members really have that much bad blood between them either. I'm not saying that they're like hanging out or like going to each other's baby showers or something, but it also seems like if they were to run into each other for whatever reason, I highly doubt you can just run into Beyonce. But if you ran into Michelle Williams, it wouldn't really be a problem. And I'm glad you brought up Michelle Williams because for t- we talked a lot about how Kelly deserved a lot of recognition and Michelle, for that matter, deserves the recognition as well. What's interesting is the final lineup. All three of them are excellent singers and have very distinct mm-hmm. voices. Like Michelle is a fantastic singer as well. Yeah. And it, I believe that she also deserved um, more success than she's gotten. But like you said, you know, I Kelly seems that- comfortable and so does Michelle. I think Michelle got has plenty of success in the gospel realm. I just don't think that it's as public or as big as we think it is. And I think, unfortunately, the gift and the curse of being associated with Beyonce is that people, whether they want to or not, are still going to, like, compare you on some level to her and of who of how how big you should have gotten based on whatever her trajectory. But I think, I mean, Michelle Williams got her own reality show where she got to put together gospel groups or she went and fixed gospel groups and churches. She seems very happy with her path. And then she also got away from that terrible man who was bad. um, And she seems fine and happy. I think that she's also talked about, you know, being kind of, she's talked about being depressed or struggling with depression in that level of fame. So I think that she is kind of at the point where she should be that makes her feel comfortable. Totally. And not everybody needs to be a fucking Beyonce. Like there's a reason why there's just one of her. Very true. And I am glad you brought up that last point. Um, One thing I did read when I was doing this research is that, you know, as there were lineup changes happening and when it was kind of the final lineup of the three, Michelle, there were times in like later interviews, she has stated that, you know, there was a lot of anxiety that she had around being the last new member and then seeing the person that she came into the group with, you know, being asked to leave the group or being removed from the group. So ultimately, I think you're right. It sounds like she has ended up in the place where she is the most content. And plus, you know, from a royalty, what have you perspective, all three of them, even if they, you know, don't have the two others don't have the Beyonce level career are doing just fine. Yeah, let's not forget that they are very rich still, regardless of how big they are in comparison to Beyonce. They are still doing just fine. And it's actually really kind of refreshing for once to have 
to have us conclude a group or a retrospective on a group and have it not be a bummer where like everybody kind of like got their own version of or got their best happy ending. You know what I mean? Totally. It is. It feels kind of weird to be like, and that's it. They're all still best friends and they lived happily ever after. And it's like, but it's true. And and I will say that those final three, you know, again, if they didn't have the Beyonce career would do just fine living off of what they made from Destiny's Child and those subsequent royalties. Um, I think that, in the 90s, there were several female R&B groups like TLC, Xscape, In Vogue, SWV, etc. Um, TLC is doing just fine. Um, and Escape, like if you're Candy Burris, you've done very well as a songwriter. And I'm sure with Reunion Tour, some of these other groups have done okay. Um, but, you know, I think there was a bit more turmoil in some of these other ones just in terms of what was happening, you know, behind the scenes with some of the members leaving and some of the breakups that would happen. Um, And I think that what was nice with Destiny's Child is just as a lot of those groups were um, dying down from fame because, you know, they either broke up or a member left or they just weren't selling as many albums as before. And maybe you can also attribute it to a rather racist, um, you know, music cycle and music world that we have um, with the rise of bubblegum pop being a mostly white faced um, industry. Destiny Child mm-hmm. very much carried that torch of having these amazing um, vocal groups um, in the R&B world. And uh, while that drama around the lineup changes was very public at the time, it's also, I think, one of the first times where that was just about everywhere because that was the rise of the internet. Um, and I think that you know, we talked about other groups having lineup changes, like most notably, you know, like the Supremes had, you know, very much, which everyone compares Destiny's Child to because uh, Diana Ross and Beyonce had similar trajectories. And of course, Beyonce was in Dreamgirls, a musical that is very much based off of the story of the Supremes. Um, that is interesting to see that I think the reason they had so much press around the lineup changes was probably because this was the first time we were seeing a very kind of public dispute within a group besides the Luke Perlman stuff with the boy bands. And you had TV, you had radio, but you also had the internet and online forums and all these places where that coverage could be um, continued to be featured in the media cycle. I think the only thing I have to add really are just some of my favorite outfits from the... (laughs) The, oh, you the have outfits? Genius. Yeah, I, had a f- I have a few that I'm just going to shout out and see if you remember them as well. Um, because I'm we- sure I remember. <laughs> we can't leave this without talking about the iconic Tina Knowles designs. Where Well, outfits- I guess we could also talk about their run of making the music video because they had a great one because it was like Independent oh, yeah. Women's Survivor and yeah. Bootylicious, but... I'm sure they tie into the outfits you're about to talk about. Totally. Yes. So first and foremost, the Survivor camo outfits are were top of my list with the oh, I mean, I mean isn't, I, isn't that quote from Mean Girls based on the Survivor music video? Like, I saw her wearing camo pants and flip-flops, so I bought camo pants and flip-flops. Like, I, that's based on, like, the Survivor it's, because yes. it has to be because I know I did. And also... The um the animal skin, well like the faux animal skin outfit that they wear is also yes. that is that's a whole that is a whole look is yes. all I will say. One hundred percent. Um Oh god. Oh sorry. And also the um the dresses that they wear at the beginning of Survivor is 
I don't even like remember where they cut out your whole stomach part. It's yeah. just like the design. Wild. It's like pre pre sky tops, but you can see the beginnings of a sky top in some yes. of these dresses. Yes, you can. And I I gotta hand it to Tina Knowles because this this the creativity that she went with here and how she influenced other fashion. Like things I'm I know. saying now, I'm like, oh, Tina Knowles did that first baby. Like, <laughs> don't you try to tell me that's an original design. <laughs> oh, you think you're original because you added fringe? Bitch, you ain't no Tina Knowles. Some of the other ones that I brought up were uh, the black studded leather matching outfits at the 2000 VMAs. Um, other oh, that iconic- was a look. Yes, because they were also trying to be like, we're bad girls. Like yes. they were going to their, not bad girl phase, but like, we're not little teens anymore. We're maturing and they, they wanted they to be taken seriously. That Survivor era definitely rushed a few of those types of outfits. The matching gold mm-hmm. lame outfits in seen at the, here's an early 2000s mouthful, 2001 Candies Foundation benefit concert, as in Candies, the shoes that had all those magazine ads. R.I.P. Candy's the shoe. I assume they don't exist anymore because I have not I, seen an ad in forever. I believe Steve Madden might be the only survivor, no pun intended, of that, you know, <laughs> set, if you will. The but shimmery. He stop. <laughs> oh my God. <sighs> uh, yes, I also remember that gold outfit because it was very reflective. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, there is the shimmery Kelly Green, again, no pun intended, coordinating outfits from the 2001 Grammys. Um, mm-hmm. And then finally, there, of course, all the outfits in Independent Women, there's a lot of like pink, mauve, what have you, stripes going on situation, a lot of bias cut. Um, but the final outfit I want to bring up is not so much iconic as it feels like it told a story. There is a picture from MTV Spring Break 2000 where Destiny's Child 2.0 appeared. So that's including Farah and Michelle. Uh, with the, so they're there. Beyonce, Kelly, and Michelle are wearing jean cutoff shorts with red bikini tops. Farah is also wearing cutoffs. However, she's noticeably wearing a denim bikini top. And I say to that, foreshadowing much it was like looking at the paul is dead abbey road theory i had i started writing bullets about what this was telling us the future that was going to come to farah and just less than three months from then her i mean i got a little crazy to say the least but then again okay, that you're really you're You're glossing over the amount of bedazzling happening here because I went, I had to go look this up. Yes. I mean, please, please share some of the bedazzled ones. I just, I pulled a few. I pulled a few. So, so Beyonce is, she has some sort of like koi fish. Remember when koi fish on clothing was a thing? Yes, yes, yes. Um, It's mostly, (laughs) Michelle has it bedazzled all down the front of her legs. So it looks like something is happening to her pants. Like she's got sand or something on it. Mostly it's around the pockets. Kelly's skirt um, is perplexing because it is long to her knees, but then cut all the way, like the slit on both sides up her thighs. Tina doesn't go for a traditional skirt length. All right. (laughs) We all know that that woman loves an asymmetrical skirt, but I do feel bad for Farrah because wearing a denim bikini top in the heat seems like a not comfortable thing no ma'am but 
Yeah, there's mostly she doesn't have. You know what? Here's some more. For, here's another bullet point you can add. She doesn't really have a lot of bedazzling happening. So no conspiracy. No. I think Tina and Matthew were in cahoots to kind of let her know before they officially told her that she would not make it in the group. And that is And she's also the only one that has, like, remember those, well, you remember from Charlie's Angels, how they had those little bejeweled, like, fake tattoos? She's the only one that has one of those, too. And it's a rose. Rosebud, oh my god, it goes straight to the top, Emily. It goes straight to the top. There are Paula's dead theorists out there. We are. Farah knew she would get out or be out before they told her theories over here. Oh, well, um, at least they didn't make her perform in the denim bikini top because I'm looking at a later performance and they made Kelly perform in that skirt, but they didn't make uh, Farah perform in that top. Thank God. Thank God. Really, that's all we have for today on Destiny's Child. Any parting thoughts, Margo, before we sign off? Make sure you put Bills, Bills, Bills and Bugaboo in the history books alongside No Scrubs. 100% agree. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. If you like what you've heard, you can check us out um, as well as our other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, (laughs) Audible Podcasts, Pocket Casts, etc., etc., The best way to stay up to date on our latest episodes is to subscribe to our podcast. And while you're at it, hitting that subscribe button, maybe leave us a rating and a review. Additionally, we are on social media and you can check us out on Instagram and Twitter at the old millennials pod. Finally, you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Margs. She wrote. And until next time, we say bye-bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.